Welcome to this sermon from Silver Lake Baptist Church. Our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. We are so glad you have chosen to listen to our message. We pray you will be blessed by your time with us today. Somebody said, told me that I have to wear a lot of hats this morning. I don't have a hat, but I do have a few things we were able to give Pastor James a little vacation. It's his anniversary one of these days right around here, so he and Linda, I don't know if they're going somewhere or just going to relax, but he deserves that. Do you ever look up into the night sky on a clear night, just, just stare at the stars? If you can get away from the city lights, it's very impressive. Billions and billions of them, as someone used to say. When I was a kid, we'd go camping and sleep out in the open just so we could look at the stars. Ancient astronomers and astrologers, just ordinary people, used to spend a good bit of time looking at the stars. They imagined patterns behind the brightest and gave them names we call constellations. They noticed that where the constellations were in the sky changed with the seasons. I only know a few of them. I got some pictures. See, these are a couple that you probably know. Here's the Big Dipper, and then the Little Dipper over here. It's a little hard to see with all the other stars, but this star right here is kind of an important one, at least I think it is. It's the North Star. And the next slide is a it's long exposure, and that little dot right there, the one that never moves throughout the night, is the North Star. So it really is north. It's really always north. The next one, next slide. We used to just call this the Big W from some movie that you might have seen. <laughs> but, but it's called Cassiopeia. It's got a real name. The next one is Orion. You can see he's kind of a figure here. His feet and his hands. This is his belt, and he's got a sword hanging from it. There's probably more. The next one, you might not have seen, this is the Southern Cross. And the reason you might not have seen it is because you can only see it from south of the equator. So Anna sees this, and it's actually on the Australian flag, too. But stars are very predictable. They're always in the same place at the same time of the night and time of year. Mariners used to use the North Star to determine their latitude. But some things that look like stars move around in odd ways. We call them planets. The next one. This has been in the news, really. This is uh, Saturn and Jupiter, and you can actually see some of the moons of Jupiter, those little tiny dots, because these were so close together. Um, just the other day, they were closer together than they've been in a long time, maybe 800 years. And although the media likes to call this the Star of Bethlehem, it's not. <laughs> okay. And we'll see why later. Of course, there's still other things in the night sky. Falling stars or shooting stars or meteors. They're all the same name for the same things. They look like, like a streak. You've probably seen the next slide. They just look like a streak, and you have to be paying attention to see them. They're just up there for a minute, a second, less than a second. But then, then there are these rare things that come around maybe once in a lifetime. Comets. This next one is a famous one. That was, this, in 1986, Halley's Comet 
came by. Returns, it comes back every 76 years. In fact, they have a picture of it from the time before, the next slide. This is from 1910. It was quite impressive that year, I understand. It scared a lot of people because, well, it kind of seems like it doesn't belong up there, but we know that it does. The next slide, in 1974, there was a comet that came by, it was called Kahootek. And <laughs> they made a big deal, it's gonna be really spectacular, it's gonna be really great. You couldn't see it at all. You needed binoculars just to see that. And the next slide. Um, this was in 1996, this thing was pretty visible. I saw this from my standing on my deck, and it was, you know, sizable in the in the sky. It was pretty impressive. Then again, just this year, the next slide, there was one called Neowise. It was a new one that they thought would also be very big, but it wasn't. You could barely see it if you knew where to look at the right time of day. This is actually my picture that I took. <laughs> I, had to, I had to work kind of hard to get it to be that noticeable. So if you've watched the night sky, you might have also seen something the ancient astronomers never saw. Satellites. <laughs> they weren't around then. <laughs> you usually see these not long after the sun is set or a little before the sun comes up. They look like moving stars, usually going backwards or from west to east, at least the ones I've seen. They don't really give off light of their own because they're reflecting the sun's light, and that's why you don't see them in the middle of the night, because they're in the Earth's shadow. Today, we're going to read about something in the night sky, but it was not a regular star. It was something special. Let's pray. Father, speak to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2. The Gospel of Matthew was written by a guy named Matthew, the, one of Jesus' disciples, Matthew the Apostle. He, he used to be a tax collector, and he was Jewish, so he wrote from a Jewish perspective to a Jewish audience. Verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi came from the east, arriving in, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, okay, stop. After Jesus was born, well, we just read the whole... Uh, story of Jesus' birth in Luke. Um, you can read that for yourself, but he was born in Bethlehem, right? We kind of, everybody knows that. And so that's what the first thing is saying, but it says, so Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and, and where is Bethlehem? Well, it's in Israel, right? Well, it's a small town, but it's just outside of Jerusalem, a suburb of Jerusalem, we might call it. It's only five miles away. It's really close. A lot a lot closer than I think of it as. Why is it called the city of David here in the, also? And it's because David was born there. You know, David, the king of Israel, who wrote a lot of the Psalms. He was a man after God's own heart. And before that, it's where David's family lived. Most of the book of Ruth in the Bible takes place in or near Bethlehem. Ruth is David's great-grandma, by the way. In the days of Herod the king, it, it says, it's trying to tell us when that was. 
This is talking about Herod the Great, not to be confused with his son, Herod Antipas, the one who beheaded John the Baptist. Herod the Great was the king of Judea, or king of the Jews, from 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. Jesus was born about 6 B.C. Obviously, our B.C. is not, <laughs> it doesn't line up, but, but we know when that was. I'll say more about King Herod in a little bit. And it says, Magi from the East arrived. What are Magi from the East? We don't know a lot about these men, other than what we read in these verses. Magi is a plural of magus, not, not maggot. A magus was a wise man, a priest, probably from Persia or Babylon, who was an expert in astronomy, astrology, interpretation of dreams, and other various occult arts. Wow, well, that doesn't sound good. But there's a song we know about these guys, right? We Three Kings. Doesn't that tell us something about them? But there's a problem. The Bible doesn't say there were three. There might have been. It doesn't say they were kings. They probably weren't kings. It doesn't tell us their names that you might have heard elsewhere, Balthazar, Caspar, and Melchior. But it does say they were from the east, and they were studiers, studiers of the stars. I'm going to call them wise men. So there's my first point. When other sources conflict with God's word, trust God's word. Verse 2, they, came to, they arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Well, now, wait a minute. How could these wise men, these Gentiles, know about the king of the Jews, the Messiah? That's why we think they might have been from Persia or Babylon. It's possible that they had parts of the Old Testament from when the Jewish nation was in captivity there a few hundred years earlier. Now, these wise men had noticed a new star that wasn't there before. When it says, we saw the star in the east, it most likely means that they saw it when it rose in the eastern sky. And somehow they'd figured out that the new star signified the birth of the Jewish Messiah. That's why they came to Jerusalem. The Bible doesn't say they followed the star. That's something that somebody else came up with. Again, when other sources conflict with the Bible, believe the Bible. So these guys seem to have some deeper understanding of who Jesus was going to be. They clearly think he's more than just king of the Jews, or they wouldn't want to worship him. Worship is something that only God deserves. This all reminds me of a bumper sticker that I like. Wise men still seek him. That's good. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. So just picture this. Here's Herod, the king of the Jews, hearing that some baby has been born that is the king of the Jews. He was troubled or stirred up or even terrified. I think it's kind of an understatement. He was so troubled, he stirred up the whole city. Herod had been made king of Judea by the Roman Senate in 37 B.C., he was not Jewish or from the line of David, so he wasn't considered by the Jews to be their rightful king. 
He was an oppressive, violent tyrant. He did build many public works during his rule, including rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. But he levied oppressive taxes to do it and made the Jews do all the work without pay. I read some of his biography written by Josephus, an ancient Jewish historian. It reads like a bad, violent soap opera. Herod and the people had Herod, I'm sorry, Herod and the people around him were always scheming and bribing and plotting. He had several of his wives and sons executed because he was afraid of being overthrown. His own son tried to poison him, but killed Herod's brother instead. It's no surprise that he was freaked out by these wise men asking where they could find the king of the Jews. There's no question, Herod was evil. But I just want to do a quick comparison with a couple of our our leaders today. Our president and our governor come from opposite ends of the political spectrum, so it's likely that you hate the one and love the other. But both of these guys are angels compared to Herod, who, by the way, was not the worst ruler of his era. That's my second point. Be thankful for the leaders in government that we have. I realize that, that, that this can be a challenging thing. It's popular these days to complain about our government. And truthfully, there are many changes I'd like to see. But a little perspective is important. God has put those authorities there. Romans 13.1 Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. 1 Timothy 2.1 First of all, then, I urge entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So not just be in subjection to them, but to pray for them a lot. Entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings. But Herod the Great was devious. We'll see just how sneaky and conniving he was. Verse 4. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Now this is interesting. Herod understood that the wise men were looking for the Jewish Messiah, the Christ, and that the Old Testament scriptures had the answer. So in verse 5, so they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is a quote from Micah 5.2, together with part of 2 Samuel 5.2. And it happened, just as God said it would, several hundred years before. But here's a question for you. Why aren't all these religious leaders flocking to Bethlehem to worship the Messiah? It's only five miles down the road. Well, the answer is they were already rejecting him. Verse 7, Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. 
I just picture his voice is <laughs> sneaky like that. I think he's up to something. I don't think he really wants to worship Jesus. He's got an evil plan. He, re- he reminds me of the Grinch. I must find a way to keep Christmas from coming. But how? Then he got an idea. An awful idea. The Grinch got a wonderful, awful idea. We'll see what Herod's scheme was in a bit. But God's plans are perfect and cannot be thwarted. Proverbs 21.30 says, There is no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. Verse 9, After hearing the king, they, the wise men, went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So, so wait, what just happened that evoked so much joy from these guys? We've heard this story so many times we can easily miss it. But put yourself in their place for a minute. Back at home, you're looking at the stars like you've done all your life. It's, it's kind of your job. Suddenly, you see a new star rising in the east. How often does that happen? Somehow, you and your buddies figure out that this is the star that's described in some ancient Jewish scrolls that some ancient guy named Daniel had kept in his library. Isaiah 9.6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And then in Isaiah 60, verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. So, you're one of these guys. You decide to travel hundreds of miles by foot and camel to Jerusalem to see this child. You come to Jerusalem and the sketchy king sends you to Bethlehem. Is this a fool's errand? But then something amazing happens. The star that you've been watching goes on ahead to Bethlehem and stops in the sky. Stars don't do that. Only the creator of the universe could do something like that. And the star marked the exact house where they could find the Messiah. Stars can't do that kind of thing. They're, they're way up there. How can they mark? But they showed exactly the house where he was. But this one did. And that's why the wise men understood that God had done something special to show them exactly where to find his son. And they were excited about it. They rejoiced. They rejoiced with joy. They rejoiced with great joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. <laughs> My third point is joy is an appropriate response to God's Son, Jesus. Psalm 67.4 Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And then Philippians 4.4 Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. True joy is given to us by the Holy Spirit. It's not just a feeling that depends on what's happening around us. Joy is an action and a choice. 
Joy is an attitude for us to characterize not only our Christmas season, but truly our entire lives. Verse 11, after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So there's a few things to notice here. They came into the house. Mary and Joseph were living in Bethlehem, but not the stable where Jesus had been born. They chose to stay in Bethlehem instead of returning to their hometown of Nazareth. This was probably about two years later. Jesus was a toddler by now. He wasn't in the manger, the feeding trough anymore. And the wise men immediately did what they had come to do, to worship Jesus as the Son of God and to give him gifts. Psalm 95, 6. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Despite some things I've heard to the contrary, it's, it's unlikely that the specific gifts the wise men gave are symbolic of Jesus' future. They are kingly gifts, though. Gold is a precious metal. Frankincense and myrrh are fragrant spices and perfumes that are very appropriate for adoration and worship. In fact, frankincense was used in the tabernacle in the temple as part of the grain offerings to the Lord. And like we've heard before, the reason that we give each other gifts at Christmas time is not because of what these men did. We give each other gifts to commemorate God's gift to us in his son Jesus. Verse 12, And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Herod had told these wise men to come back and tell him where the child was. But God gave a direct message to these wise men. He told them not to return to Herod. That's my last point. When other laws conflict with God's word, obey God's word. This has a direct application right here, right now. Our state's governor has declared it illegal to sing in church. But we've chosen to obey God by worshiping him together. It's what we were made to do. Daniel 6.10, talking about Daniel, uh, a law that had been made. Now, when Daniel knew that the law making praying to God illegal had been signed by the king, he entered his house and continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. And then later in Acts 4.18, when the Sanhedrin, the leaders, had summoned Peter and John. They commanded them to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. So the wise men went home by another way, so that Mary and Joseph would have time to escape. Escape what? Well, you can read the rest of the story yourself. But uh, so it's clear that Herod, you'll see that Herod lived up to and even surpassed his bloodthirsty reputation. He died, and Herod died later that year. God's plans cannot be thwarted. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the plans that you have for us. Plans for good and not for harm. We look forward to the day when we can see you face to face and we don't have to worry about uh, some of the details that bother us now. 
I thank you that even today you uh, are king over all, king over all the earth. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, check out our website at www.silverlakebaptist.org.